Once upon a time, there was a little boy called Rufus who loved writing stories. Little Rufus dreamed of being a writer. So he stood in English literature. Don't tell him that he shit does, he might fight you. Even though it's true, even though he is second worst writer in the world. 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 He's so mediocre, he can't even claim to be the worst writer. So if you think about it, he's actually worse than the worst writer in the world. Welcome to the worst writer in the world with me, Rufus, and he's tall, Ooh. he's slender, Hooray. he's got branches <laughs> and leaves. It's Howard Long. Yeah. Thank you very much. Thank you to the British Comedy Guide for hosting this show. Thanks to all of our lovely patrons <laughs> on lovely. Patreon for giving us money Thank for this you. show. Yeah, and money. thanks to you for listening to this show. Howard. Me, thank you. Yeah. <laughs> yes, it's a, it's a only you. I don't have anything to contribute, so I just sit and listen. That's, my, that's what I do. <laughs> well, this week, that's true, because this week it's a Gret Binchleaf chapter written by me. Hooray! So all you do have to do is sit there and listen and maybe occasionally chuckle a bit. Well, well I will do. So shall we, uh, shall we go over to me and find out what me has written? Yes, please. The plot so far. Hooray! Once upon a time, Rufus and Howard started a secret gang. Yeah. And lots of lovely people joined, really? as well as some absolute chin bananas. <laughs> but we like them too, really. Yeah. A few of those lovely people were so lovely mm. that they subscribed at the top level. Yeah. And Rufus and Howard loved them the best. <laughs> because Rufus and Howard were a pair of flighty whores yeah. whose affection could easily be bought for 30 pieces of silver. One of the ways that Rufus and Howard said thank you to their top-tier Brill Bananas mm. was to make them a Br special birthday episode. Brill Bananas. Brill yeah, that is very much a reference to your <laughs> comics, don't worry. Mm. However... Probability being what it is, i.e. maths magic that makes no sense to anyone with a normal human logic system, mm -hmm. most of the Gangil Benangil birthday <laughs> most of the Gangil Benangil birthdangils yeah. happened within a few weeks of each other. Ah. So Rufus and Howard decided to write a series of interconnected Gret Binchleaf stories, which Howard called Gret Binchleaf and the Adventure of the Very Bad Dog. The first chapter was about Nick Darnold, who could hear voices in his head for very good reasons and not just to give Howard a chance to do Binchleaf Bedlam again. <laughs> the second chapter was, unfortunately, written by Rufus Ooh. and consequently was about a million words long. Yeah. It was about Nicholas Bundy, but it was not the first time Nick Bundy had appeared in a Gret Binchleaf story. Mm. In the early days of the gang, Nick Bundy had been canonised as Rock Hard Place in chapters four and five of The Adventure of the Complicated Head. Wow. So Rufus, ever the stickler for continuity, who honestly believes that the Gret Binchleaf universe makes as much or more sense than the actual universe, <laughs> decided that this story... Fair enough. Yeah. I wrote that as a joke and then I thought, actually, it does. It does, yeah. <laughs> Especially these days. Man. Yeah. So Rufus decided that this story, The Adventure of the Very Bad Dog, takes place after the glow-in-the-dark chickens, 
but before the complicated head. Which means, at this point, Gret Binchleaf has not met Nick Bundy, and the attack of the spooky skeleton Stimberline is yet far in the future. And, if anything in Howard's chapter contradicts that, like, for example, if Howard mentioned that time Gret turned into a woman, then that's Howard's fault, isn't it? He wrote it, not me. Jesus, Howard, get it right, why don't you? Well, I was purposefully vague on that front. Mm. I had to check uh, some of the voices. And you do kind of say in the past or future, or he wasn't sure. It's really, it is really vague, so it doesn't matter. I feel like Greg Benchleaf has been turned into a woman a lot. <laughs> yeah, we haven't mentioned it every time yeah. because it happens so often. Mm. <laughs> yeah. So, while in The Adventure of the Complicated Head, Rock Hard Place is pretty old and also dead, in The Adventure of the Very Bad Dog, mm. Nick Bundy is super young. Which is why this chapter begins with Extract from the diary of Nicky Bundy, aged eight and two quarters. Wow. Monday. Dear Diary. <laughs> I have decided to start a diary so that one day, when I'm a famous detective, I'll be able to look back and see how it all happened. Also, oh, yeah. I was kind of bold because I didn't go to school today because I sick. I all kinds of sick. I woke up with itchy spots all over me. I looked like Tommy Quinn, the English kid in my class, who's always covered in spots and sometimes has to be put in a special bag. <laughs> my mom told me to stay in bed and she'll take me to the doctor if I ain't better by tomorrow. So I read the casebook of Sherlock Holmes and daydreamed about what I'll be like when I'm a detective. I'll be better than Sherlock Holmes because I'll be nice to people. And I won't be a heroin addict. When Nicholas Bundy was a child, of course, he was Penelope Pitts. <laughs> <laughs> hey, it's not me that decided that. It's his own fault for being Penelope Pitstop when he was a child. Tuesday. Dear Diary. Mom took me to the doctor today. He say I got a serious illness called chicken disease. <laughs> Apparently, people with chicken disease either get better in a few days or they turn into a chicken. <laughs> I asked him if it would help if someone put me in a special bag, like Tommy <laughs> Quinn. He say no, and he say he don't know of any medical problem that's helped by putting someone in a bag. And maybe the teacher just put Tommy in that bag to shut him up. Spent the rest of the day in bed reading a book by Agatha Christie and imagining what I'd do if I was in a big house full of rich people and one of them got murdered. <laughs> when I grow up, I'm going to be a detective, but I'll be better than Hercule Poirot <laughs> because I'll be nice to people and I won't be Belgian. <laughs> Wednesday. Dear Diary. Woke up with the overwhelming urge to lay an egg. <laughs> I told my mom, I told my mom and she said, go ahead, and then she could make us omelettes for breakfast. <laughs> Unfortunately, what came out wasn't no egg, so we had pancakes instead. <laughs> the TV news was showing people having big street parties all over the world, like at New Year Eve or something. I asked my mom what they celebrating, and she say it's the one year anniversary of the disappearance of Gret Benchleaf. She tell me he was a famous detective, but he famous for being the worst detective who ever lived. <laughs> if you hire Gret Binchleaf to find your missing cat, you pretty soon gonna find you also got a missing dog. Missing money, a missing wife, all your family dead, and you living in an apocalyptic wasteland maybe in space. Yeah. 
and your cat's still missing, and now there ain't no cats because someone ate them all. <laughs> so everybody hate Greg Binchleaf, and now they celebrate in his disappearance because he useless and rude, and apparently one time he ate all the chips. <laughs> when I'm a detective, I'll be better than Greg Binchleaf mm. because I'll be nice to people, and I won't eat all the chips. Mm -hmm. Thursday. Dear Diary, woke up with feathers. <laughs> Mom told me not to worry about it, but I was suspicious because I found an empty tube of glue beside my bed. <laughs> Had a bath and all my feathers fell off. Spoke to Mom and she admitted that she glued them to me when I was asleep for a joke. I'm not really turning into a chicken. <laughs> my mom was impressed when I told her how I worked it out. You're quite the little detective, she said. So I told her that I want to be a detective when I older. Then she started to cry and pull her hair out like a crazy person. She say I can't be a detective because it's too dangerous and involves too much space and time travel. <laughs> yeah, it does. It does. That's true. I told her that ain't true. It is. But she say Greg Binsleaf was a detective and he always traveling in time and space. Yes. She say my daddy was a detective too. Ooh. And it made him hard and distant and eventually dead. He died investigating the case of the killer bees. Mm. Them bees sure did live up to their name. And it's still a mystery where they got all them guns from. <laughs> it sure is a shame I can't be a detective. I think I would have been good at it. I'd have made a better detective than my dad anyway. Because I'd have been nice to people. And I wouldn't have got shot by a bee. <laughs> Extract 2, from the diary of Nicholas Bundy, aged 18. Ooh, got penis now. Dear Diary, Today been a real memorable day because of three reasons. First, I asked my girlfriend to marry me. Second, I got accepted to UCLM to study astrophysics. And just in case anyone doesn't know, UCLM stands for the University of Central Los Angeles. <laughs> <laughs> Third, it's the 10-year anniversary of Gretgon Day. And the party's going to last all night. Shit, is Gret still gone? Mm, ten years later, yeah. Wow. What, what, do, is this a specific event from known Gret history where he disappeared? Oh, this chapter start, starts immediately after your last chapter. This is carrying on. This is not a flashback. This is, con this is, oh, cr this is chronologically after when your he chapter. Went, when he went to Jupiter in my yeah, chapter. absolutely. Oh, I see. So that's why you were saying that that was in the past before he'd met. Yeah. Right, yeah. OK. Yeah. I thought you'd put your chapter before, before your chapter. Before my chapter. Right, OK. Yeah. Right, no, no, I didn't you, do that, yeah. yeah. Now, I admit, today ain't been perfect. For example, when I ask my girlfriend to marry me, she say no, and tell me she in love with my best friend, Buck. Hmm. I suppose that's why they've been spending so much time together, going for long walks, swimming in the river, chasing cats, her throwing a stick and him fetching it for her. <laughs> I don't know, if you can't trust your best friend, who can you trust? Also... I don't want to study astrophysics. Hmm. I want to study detection. But my mom say there ain't no money in being a detective. And she want me to follow in her footsteps. She want me to apply to NASA and become some kind of Boeing space engineer like her. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now, if I'm being honest, and I am being honest... Yeah! The only truly good thing about today been the Gretgon Day celebrations. Hmm. People being crazy with happiness. They're euphoric. Because it's been a whole decade since some guy called Greg Binchleaf disappeared. 
I don't remember much about him because I was too young, but from what I read, he don't seem so bad. Okay, he got sent to hell, and he <laughs> murdered his own brother and mom, and he'd been married to 97 women and they all died in mysterious circumstances, <laughs> but... Hey, that guy saved the world on more than one occasion. That'd but, uh, make him a hero in my book. I never really considered that. I mean, I don't believe that... that oh, no, Gret, Gret didn't do it. Gret did, did no, that none at all. Of them, yeah, none he's of not, them. He's not. But you would if you were an outsider. Yes. Okay. Absolutely. No, I agree. Gret is totally innocent. He's not innocent of his brother's death. Mm. <laughs> because he interrupted his theme tune. It was his own fault. Mm. But yeah. <laughs> but his wives, they all did die accidentally. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, I I agree with you, but I was just thinking like how you'd read that as an outsider. Yeah, yeah, understood. All right, so, but hey, that guy saved the world on more than one occasion. That make him a hero in my book. But I still went to the street party and ate the celebratory meat pies and wore the traditional crab shoes and sang the song called "Who Ate All the Chips?" Gret Binchleaf did the dead idiot. Hmm. I don't know. It feel wrong celebrating a man's death. And things ain't as perfect as people make out. Maybe if Gret Binchley was still here, he'd be able to do something about that big three-headed dog oh. that terrorizing Europe at the moment. Because oh it certainly don't seem like no one else can do nothing about it. Shit. Three-headed dog, eh? Mm. It's a surprise. <laughs> Extract three from the diary of Nick T. Bundy, PhD, aged 28 and three quarters. <laughs> Dear Diary, <laughs> I can't believe what I'm about to write. I've only been working at NASA for a year and a half, and I never truly believed it would happen. Today, we found evidence of extraterrestrial life, maybe even intelligent life. One of our deep space probes sent pictures of the planet's surface, and we're pretty sure it shows buildings, artificial structures that don't occur naturally. <laughs> And in other pictures, something that look a whole lot of heck like a living forest. <laughs> full of trees. Growing on a planet that we thought was dead. Mm -hmm. A planet in our own solar system. <laughs> I'm just pretty worried that, like, that Grappich Leifus, like, had to repopulate Jupiter <laughs> Professor Doctor Who. This place going crazy with excitement because we might be about to make contact with alien life. Me? I'm not so sure. I think it'll probably turn out to be nothing. After all, this is real life, not some freaky science fiction story with a dumbass title like Gret Binchleaf and the Adventure of the Very Bad Dog, <laughs> Chapter 2, <laughs> Attack of the Big Green Space Monsters from Mars. Oh my the continuing adventures of Gret Binchleaf, the soft-boiled private dick with a crippling fear of pies. Nick Bundy, PhD, aerospace engineer and all-round good egg, opened the door and walked into his boss's office. You wanted to see me so, he said. His boss looked up from his space charts and fixed Nick with a piercing stare. Oh, shit. Oh, okay. <laughs> said mission controller Jim Wilkinson <laughs> I've got two questions for you Nicholas Bundy Bundy sat down on the wicker chair opposite Wilkinson's desk and waited in the short time Bundy had worked for him Wilkinson had become like a father to him mm -hmm. mainly because Wilkinson had seduced and married his mum <laughs> that had been a weird job interview mm. when Wilkinson had said 
my, 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 you're a good-looking young man. I bet you've got a right sexy mum. <laughs> Can I have a number? <laughs> on the bright side, he'd got the job. On the dimmer side, he'd never know if he got it on merit or because he had a hot mum. Mm. My first question, said Controller Wilkinson, is, have you heard what the President's been saying about this extraterrestrial thing? It was unlikely to be good news. Just over a year earlier, the American public, apparently disillusioned with career politicians, had elected an angry chimp instead. The logic of the angry chimp supporters went like this. <laughs> I have been ignored and screwed over by every president before now. Every president before now has been a human. Mm -hmm. Therefore, I should vote for an angry chimp. Some people tried to explain to the chimp supporters that the same logic could be used with gender. Every president before now has been a man. Therefore, I should vote for a woman. For example, the woman who is standing against the angry chimp. The chimp supporters disagreed. As many of them could be heard to explain on local news programmes, there's only one thing worse than humans, and that's women. Mm -hmm. I haven't heard, said Bundy. What's the president been seeing? Well, nothing. He's a chimp, of course, <laughs> said Wilkinson. But he has been doing some furious signing. He wants us to attack the aliens before they can attack us. But we don't even know if there are any aliens yet, said Bundy. I know that, and you know that, said Wilkinson. But the president is a chimp. <laughs> there was no denying that. The president really was a massive chimp. <laughs> Not even a very clever chimp, by all accounts. According to Bundy's old friend, Professor Soufflé, who was both a chimp expert and French, the president was one of the stupidest apes who'd ever lived. In Professor Soufflé's words, That monkey can't even eat a banana without help. I gave him a banana and he stuck it up his nose. Then he signed at me that he is the best banana eater in the world and no one eats bananas as well as him. He signed that at me... With a banana sticking out of his nose. But we can't fire missiles at another planet before we even know what there. We might be attacking a peaceful race. An ancient people with knowledge we can only dream of. Technology that could solve every problem the Earth has. We might wipe out the cure to every disease. Or we might start an interstellar war with an alien that could kill us all in a second. We may destroy the greatest discovery in history. All because a chimp is angry. Don't worry, Nicholas Bundy, said Wilkinson. We're not going to do what the president says. We never have before. Why should we start now? So what are we going to do? Well, that's my second question, said Wilkinson. How would you like to be a astronaut? Oh, yeah, he would. Controller Wilkinson explained to Bundy that not only were they going to ignore the president's orders, just like they had when he told them to plant banana trees on the moon, they were also going to send an astronaut to attempt first contact with the aliens, if there turned out to be any. Mm -hmm. But why me? asked Bundy. I'm not an astronaut. I'm an engineer. I'm not qualified. None of our astronauts are willing to go against the president so directly, said Wilkinson. They're OK with ignoring him, but doing the opposite of what he wants, that's too much for them. But he a chimp, said Bundy. I know that, but they're military men and women at heart. They think of it as mutiny. I don't have the training. 
You know everything you need to know, and we'll give you a crash course. Couple of days, maybe a week, get you ready. <laughs> Wilkinson smiled warmly. You're the right man for the job, Bundy. You've got no family or pet dog to miss when you're gone. You've got no friends who care about you. Your colleagues haven't become especially fond of you yet. Really, you're quite solitary, aren't you? Bundy had devoted his time to studying, then to work. He hadn't had time for girlfriends or boyfriends or dog friends. And that fact will also help you deal with the crippling loneliness, said Wilkinson. Loneliness? What do you mean? Well, you'll be in that spaceship by yourself for quite a long time. Most people would go crazy. <laughs> You're sending me? Alone? Yes, well, that's the other reason we're sending you rather than a astronaut, said Wilkinson. Deniability. If the president catches us, we'll say you hacked it alone, and hopefully that'll stop him throwing bananas at us. <laughs> you know, like he did with the parks department. <laughs> Is there really no one else? asked Bundy. It hits you, Nick, or the nukes. Nick shook his head. He was terrified. He was unqualified. And most of all, he didn't want to go to space. He'd never wanted to work for NASA. He'd wanted to be a detective, like his dad, like Sherlock Holmes, like Gret Binchleaf. OK, maybe not like Gret Binchleaf, but a detective. If only he had ignored his mum's advice when he was 18, he wouldn't be in this situation. He bet detectives never had to go to space for no particularly good reason. <laughs> I'll do it, hmm. said Nick. Whatever else he was, at heart, Nick Bundy was a fucking hero. Yes! Excellent news, said Wilkinson. Report to Lieutenant Proctor Wu immediately hey! for your basic training. Nick Bundy stood and walked to the door, trying to disguise the trembling in his knees. Oh, and Nick, said Wilkinson. Yes, sir? Happy Gretgon Day. Hmm. Happy Gretgon Day, so, said Nick, and left the office. <laughs> It had been three days since they'd received the pictures from Uranus, and everyone at NASA was still trying to make sense of them. Little was known about Uranus, as only one probe had ever been sent there, and the closest that had come to Uranus was still more than 50,000 miles from the surface of Uranus. Certainly, no human had ever been anywhere near Uranus, and it had generally been thought that Uranus was a cold and unfriendly place, and that there was no chance of anything being alive on Uranus. That was... Until this week, when NASA's latest probe, the Cucumber 1, had sent back pictures and data from less than a mile above the surface of Uranus, before going silent, lost in the gaseous atmosphere of the planet. Yes, the Cucumber had disappeared into the gas of Uranus. The pictures from the... <laughs> the pictures from... The thing is, I started writing this just about... And you can't... It's impossible to write about Uranus without making... Like, even accidentally well, making shit no, puns. So I just had to embrace it. It's, it's, it's impossible to write about Uranus. Agreed, but... <laughs> the pictures from the probe had been blurry, unclear, but there was one thing everyone had agreed about. There were structures on the surface of Uranus. <laughs> what looked like buildings, angular and organised, absolutely not the kinds of formations that occurred naturally. Intelligent beings had built structures on the surface of Uranus, and since no human had ever been there, this was the most compelling evidence of alien life that NASA had ever encountered. And President Angry Chimp wanted to nuke Uranus without even saying hello <laughs> to Uranus. <laughs> Thank you.
One week later, Nick T. Bundy was strapped into a one-man spacecraft by his superior officer, the one who'd taken care of most of his rush training, Lieutenant Proctor Wu. Mm. So, you remember where the toilet is? She said, a little patronisingly, Bundy thought. Of course I do. <laughs> and you remember where all the extra food rations are stored? Yeah. And you remember how the urine recycler works? I'm a bit more concerned with taking off and landing, said Nick. Oh, don't worry about that. The ship does most of that for you. You need to concentrate on staying alive and sane during your long journey. And to do that, you need to know how the urine recycler works. <laughs> how long is this journey going to take? asked Nick. They'd been refusing to answer him all week, as they claimed they were still calculating it. Uranus moves about a lot, they said. Sometimes Uranus is close, and sometimes <laughs> Uranus is really far away. How long it takes to get to Uranus can vary drastically. Yes, I've been meaning to mention that, said Lieutenant Proctor Wu. They finally finished their calculations this morning. It's going to take nine years, eight months and twenty-two days, more or less. Nine years, hmm. said Nick, who'd been expecting an answer in months, not years. <laughs> It would have been quicker, said Lieutenant Proctor Wu, but Uranus is really far away at the moment. <laughs> you should put him to sleep. Mind you, then he'll get back and there'll be monkeys. <coughs> oh, there's already exactly. a monkey in charge. Fuck. <laughs> oh, sorry, you've set it Too up. late. <laughs> Nick Bundy's craft took off without incident and began its long, lazy journey across the solar system. On Earth, people forgot about the distant mission and the vague hope of life on other planets. The years went by... The angry chimp won a second term, then eventually lost to a crocodile, after people realised that the chimp had done them no favours either, so it must have been mammals that were the problem. <laughs> On Earth, many things happened. Some of them were bad. Some of them were terrible. Some of them probably had to do with that giant three-headed dog that was terrorising Europe. But this story is not about Earth, and it's not about a very bad dog, even though it's called The Adventure of the Very Bad Dog. This story is about one heroic man, Nicholas T. Bundy. <laughs> Extract from the diary of Captain Nick T. Bundy, aged 39 and a bit. Monday. Woke up. Made breakfast. Floated over to the window and looked at the stars <laughs> for a while. Watched the A-team on VHS. <laughs> went bed. <laughs> Tuesday. Woke up. Finished reading The Adventures of Sherlock Holmes for the 74th time. It is brill. Started reading The Memoirs of Sherlock Holmes. It is brill too. Went bad. Because when... he's in space, so it's boring, yeah, no, you see. No. Wednesday. Space Nazis invaded today. Went bad. Thursday. Woke up, ate cornflakes for breakfast, finished the memoirs of Sherlock Holmes, went searching through the ship's computers trying to find a book I ain't already read six times, found something called The Casebook of Gret Binchleaf, went bed. Friday, spent most of the day just floating around and reading The Casebook of Gret Binchleaf. It seemed to me that he not nearly as bad as people make him out to be. After all, he had a difficult start in life when his parents disappeared during a magic trick he was doing. And then <laughs> his own future self turned up and abandoned him in an orphanage. <laughs> Watched Ghostbusters on VHS. 
ate a sandwich, went bed. Did he watch uh, the original Ghostbusters? Or no, the, the good, the good new one. Oh, the good new one. Good. Saturday, woke up, realized that today is the ten-year anniversary of my leaving the Earth. Floated into the kitchen and rehydrated some cake for breakfast to celebrate. Read some more of the casebook of Greg Binchley. Apparently, he was a member of something called the Fat Detectives Guild. Sweet Johnny Joseph, I'd love to be part of a detectives guild. Mm. They must have such awesome meetings, telling each other about the cases they solved, discussing the latest detection techniques, mm. what I wouldn't give to be fat enough and detective enough to join that guild. Oh, yeah. Ate three pies and the ship's cat. <laughs> Went bad. <laughs> Sunday. Woke up on the ceiling. Realized that must mean there's gravity keeping me there. Dragged my way to the cockpit and saw that my spaceship hurtling towards the surface of a large planet. I guess I'm almost there. I'm about to set foot on an alien world. The first human to do so. I got no idea what I'll find there, but one thing for sure. After I've been to Uranus, ain't nothing going to be the same ever again. Time to strap myself in and hope this spaceship know how to land. Captain Nick T. Bundy gazed out over the ice plains and shivered. His spacesuit was heated and insulated, of course, but it wasn't doing too well against the minus 200 degrees temperature of the planet's surface. That's minus 200 degrees Celsius. If you're American, then that's minus 300 milkty milk degrees Fahrenheit <laughs> or something. Use Celsius like the rest of us, you wazzlords. <laughs> yeah. Well, shit, he said, staring at the desolate frozen wasteland before him. Ten years in a spaceship to come to a dead planet for no reason. And now it's going to take ten years to get back. That a real kick in the teeth. But then, Captain Nick thought he saw a movement. Far away, where the ice rose up to form a towering cliff, something moved. You want to be wary when you hear the word movement connected with Uranus. <laughs> it probably just a trick of the light, he told himself. All these weird gases floating around. <laughs> it bound to look kind of freaky. The tiny smudge at the foot of the cliff moved again. It didn't look like gas. It had the irregular, jerky motion of something that was alive. I suppose I may as well check it out, yeah, said Nick. Do, do it! Be ashamed to come all this way and not see the sights. Mm. Captain Nick T. Bundy trudged across the ice, keeping careful focus on where he'd seen the movement. It would be easy to become disoriented in this gassy, featureless expanse. And then he might end up walking round in circles forever like a lost polar bear with a limp. As he got closer, he thought he saw an opening in the ice cliff, perhaps even the mouth of a cave, and fear began tapping at the inside of his skull, like some kind of anxious brain worm that had finished eating his brain and now wanted to be let out so that it could eat his face as well. As he drew closer still, he saw it was a cave, and outside it there was a crude pit for cooking, a block of ice for sitting, and pictures carved into the ground. Captain Nick scanned the horizon. There was no one and nothing in sight. The only thing to do was to explore the ice cave. Hello, he said. Is anybody there? As his eyes adjusted to the gloom, he realised that there was a humanoid figure lying on a bed made from ice. 
He was on his back, with his arms crossed over his chest, and from his thin, almost skeletal form, <sighs> Nick thought he'd probably been dead for some time. His skin hung off his bones like a silk sheet draped over a skeleton. Captain Nick thought how fortunate it was <laughs> that his old college roommate, <laughs> Ohio Grant, wasn't there with him. Ohio had loved two things, combing his hair <laughs> and eating skeletons. Yeah, he did. Ohio had loved two things, combing his hair and eating skeletons. This bony corpse wouldn't have lasted five minutes. The oddest thing about the man, however, was that he appeared to be human. He had arms, legs, fingers and shoes. His features were human, his bone structure and his clothes. This was no Uranian alien. This was a man who'd bought his now ragged clothes in Walmart. Footnote. Obviously, Gret actually buys his clothes in Tesco. As evidenced by the rhyme that his school friends used to chant at him, let's all go to Tesco's, where Binchleaf gets his best clothes. <laughs> Captain Nick needed more information. He gently lifted the man's jacket and reached inside to search for some form of identification. At which, the man opened his bulging eyes and stared right at him. Nick froze, his hand still in the man's jacket pocket, and they stared at each other. Well, well, well. <laughs> said the skeletal figure. I usually insist a man buys me dinner before he starts jibbling my jelly bonkers. <laughs> I wasn't jillying your... I wasn't jillying... <laughs> fucking hell. I wasn't jibbling your jelly bonkers. Yeah. It actually says jelly boobers here. I read that wrong. I usually insist a man buys me dinner before he starts jibbling my jelly boobers. <laughs> I wasn't jibbling... I can't say that <laughs> I wasn't jibbling your jelly boobers, said Captain Nick accurately. That's what they all say, said the strange bony man. Now, I know what you're thinking. You're thinking four. Now, I know what you're thinking. Was I right one? You were absolutely correct, yeah. You're thinking four, it's funny. <laughs> it's when I wrote it and, and read it to myself and said it, I went like, "This yeah. is this is good. this is your this is your best this joke." This is yeah. good line, and, no, I, it is. and I couldn't say it without like getting amused by it. I was like, "Okay, yeah." You're thinking, "Whoa, Grabishly!" <laughs> <laughs> I bet he gives really good B jobs. <laughs> if I ask him, <laughs> if I ask him nicely, maybe he'll give me a B job. <laughs> Well, I'll tell you this, Sonny. I will give you a B job. I'll give you a B job so good you'll tell people it was an A job. <laughs> did you just say, Gred Binchleaf? Mm. Asked Captain Nick. I certainly did. Would you like me to say it again? Four, Gred Binchleaf. <laughs> <laughs> Do you know Gred Binchleaf? Mm. Asked Nick. Since reading his cases, Captain Nick had become something of a Gret Binchleaf fan. Do you know what happened to him? I know everything that happened to him, except the things I forgot, which is most of the things. Then where is he? asked Nick, his fingertips tingling with anticipation. He's right here, said the skinny man, right here in front of you. And don't forget, Gret Binchleaf is just a girl, standing in front of a boy, <laughs> offering to give him a bee job. <laughs> Are you seriously telling me that you're Gret Binchleaf? That's me, Sonny Jim, Gret Binchleaf, world's greatest detective and job blower, as you're about to find out. <laughs> yeah. But before we get down to business, perhaps I could ask, what's your name? My name is Nick Burndy, said Nick Burndy. <laughs> <laughs> 
My, 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 what a wholly unique name. <laughs> so great. So exotic. <laughs> Nick Bun D, he said, savouring every syllable of the three syllables. Oh, Nick Bundy, he repeated. Tell you what, Nick Bundy, I've been all over the multi-massive verse. <laughs> I've met a whole bucket full of people. I once met a Nickelty Knock Bundy boobs. <laughs> I shared a flight with Nick Undlefundle Brundlefly. <laughs> Yes. I've even met some spendthrift teacher called Tom Haining, who sounded just like you. <laughs> what the Jimmy Joe heck are you talking about, Mr. Binchleaf? Asked Captain Nick uh. T. Bundy, without mentioning that the T stood for Tom Haining. <laughs> and would you mind getting to the point? After all, I still got a lot of money. <laughs> <Sometimes>. <laughs> After all, I still got a lot of money in my big bag of money, (laughs) and I've got to spend it before midnight tomorrow (laughs) if I want to inherit $300 million from my weird dead Uncle Rupert. (laughs) Captain Nick wasn't sure why he'd said that. (laughs) It must have been the Uranian air. Yeah. Oh, good. Uh, So, very well. Said Greg Bitchleaf <laughs> coyly. I suppose my point is, do you come here often? To Uranus? <laughs> uh, no. Maybe Captain Nick was mistaken, but it seemed like Gret was coming on to him. Mm. No, of course not, silly me. What am I like? <laughs> You'll have to excuse my flirting. Must be my time of the month. It seems to affect me more and more these days. Probably because a month on Uranus lasts for seven years. Ah, That's yeah, true. Okay. Approximately true. Brilliant. Captain Nick stared at Gret for a moment. What? He said. <laughs> I'm what they call a parallel man, said ah, Gret. Yeah. I exist in many alternate realities, and sometimes I see them and sometimes I visit them. In some of those realities, Gret Binchleaf is a woman, mm-hmm. probably called Gertrude. I don't think I understand. And once a month, I turn into a woman, like I am now. <laughs> Gret flicked his long grey hair coquettishly. Hmm. You're not a woman, (laughs) said Nick. I am. Look at my boobs. (laughs) You definitely a man. (laughs) You ain't got no boobs. What you got is a beard and a pretty obvious penis. (laughs) Excuse my pardon? I can see it through the hole in your raggedy old pantaloons. What? Gret moved his hand to cover his modesty, but only succeeded in knocking his penis out further. (laughs) So... I'm not a woman. (laughs) No. And I don't turn into a woman once a month because of parallel universes or time travel or something. (laughs) No, of course not. Then why am I offering to give you a (laughs) blowjob? I got no idea. (laughs) Flippin' eight, Bundy. You might have told me I'm not a woman. I feel like a right pillock now. (laughs) Greg grabbed a makeshift walking stick from beside his ice bed and began hobbling towards the cave entrance. I can see I've made a bad first impression, he said, (laughs) but I'll prove to you that I'm not a complete dunderbrain. Join me outside and I'll show you what I've been working on during my long exile here on Uranus. Gret stopped by the mouth of the cave and pointed at a collection of small rocks that were arranged in a semicircle. These are my friends, he said. This is rock genius. He'll answer any science or maths questions you might have, especially if those questions are, can you show me what a rock looks like? (laughs) This is rock bodyguard. He guards the entrance and makes sure no undesirables get in. Although he let you in, so I might have to sack him. 
This is rock prostitute. <laughs> he, um, well, you know, the nights get lonely on Uranus. He helped keep me warm. This is Rock Detective. He's a really good detective, but he's depressed because he's only the second best detective on Uranus. This is Rock Binchleaf. You don't have any female rocks, said Captain Nick. Don't be stupid. All rocks are male. Everyone knows that, Gret snorted, as if Captain Nick were the stupidest person he'd ever met. Rocks are male. Cats are female. <laughs> Just ask Rock Genius. I'm sure he'll back me up. <laughs> Nick decided to stay quiet. Anyway, as I was saying before you idiotically interrupted, this is Rock Binchleaf. He can't speak because he doesn't have a mouth and he's a rock. Hmm. But he's got a lot of very wise thoughts that he wants to share. So he communicates with his friends by tapping against the wall. <laughs> Grit picked up Rock Binchleaf and tapped it three times against the ice. Yes! Knock, knock, tappity tap, he said. <laughs> What's he saying? <laughs> yes! Ask yes! Nick. Ask Nick. <laughs> That's what his friends have to work out. <laughs> They're over here, look. <laughs> Gret pointed at two other identical rocks. <laughs> this one's called Walk Through Wall Rock. <laughs> and this is his best friend, The Rock. <laughs> yes. Gret began hitting Rock Binchleaf against the wall again. Bang thuddy, bang bang thud, <laughs> he said. Duh, what's he saying, boss? <laughs> <laughs> well, the rock. He's saying that you should turn the ice into a rock wall and then we can all be friends with it. Did you hear that, Nick Bundy? Walk through wall rock. Told the rock that Rock Binchleaf said that the rock should turn the ice into a rock and they should all make friends flipping rocks. <laughs> <laughs> Gret dropped Gret dropped Rock Binchleaf on the ground and kicked him irritably into the cave. You've got no idea how many times I've had to listen to that conversation, he said, then looked up at Nick's face, as if noticing him for the first time. Wait a minute. Do I know you? he said, squinting aggressively. Hmm. Nick. Nick, 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 Nick. Yes, I remember. It was a Nick who stranded me here in the first place. A Nick who got me stuck on Uranus after a dog stole Professor Doctor Who's TARDIS. <laughs> was that you? It was a TARDIS, it was a CARDIS. <laughs> Come on, we're going to get sued. Was that you? Are you Nick Darnold? <laughs> no, I'm Nick T. Bundy. Sounds basically the same to me. Hmm. I should probably punch you to hell, just to make sure. <laughs> I do it. But I'm not him. I'm Nick Bundy. Nick Bumdy? What kind of stupid name is that? All my other friends are called Rock something or other. Why do you have to be different? Because I'm not a rock, said Nick. Or because you're not my friend, said Gret, balling his yes. fist. Listen, you can call me Rock if it makes you happy. Yes. Good idea. I think I'll call you Rock Hard Penis, mm -hmm. said Gret. Because my penis got hard when I first saw you. <laughs> you know, when I was a woman. <laughs> Captain Nick quite liked the name Rock Hard Penis. He thought it sounded exactly the sort of name a straight-talking, face-punching space detective would have. Maybe he'd keep it. Of course, it might be wise to modify it slightly in case he ever met any children. Are you ready to see my creative masterpiece? Gret interrupted. The thing that's kept me sane during three decades of being alone in a cave on an ice planet with no food and no one to shout at. Sure, said Captain Nick Rock Hard Penis Bundy. Here it is, said Gret, pointing at several words scrawled into the wall. My life's work, my magnetic opal fruit. <laughs> what is it? 
It's a list of things that annoy me. You know, all the irritating little things that drive me crazy. You mean a list of your pet peeves, said Nick. Yeah, let's start with number one. People who use the phrase pet peeves. It's fucking stupid. I'll tell you what I call them. Gret peeves. Yeah, <laughs> gret peeves, as I like to call them and do. Gret peeves! <laughs> number two, pets. Why don't I want some furry twazzock following me around and eating all my food? Mm. If I put a bowl of meat on the floor, I don't want a cat stealing it. That's my dinner. Get off your parasite and don't be looking at me with that disapproving expression while I get down on all fours and eat cat food out of a bowl. Mm. Gret Binchleaf's eating habits are his own business, you food-shaming bumhole. Gret picked up one of the rocks he hadn't introduced to Nick earlier and took a bite out of it like it was an apple. Number three, music. I hate music. A bunch of stupid sounds. Plinky, plinky, strummy, bang, bang. All music is rubbish and annoying. Except my theme tune, obviously, which is great. Number four, being two billion miles away from the nearest chip. It keeps me awake at night, that one. How did you survive so long on this planet? asked Nick. It's been difficult, said Gret. All I've had to eat for 30 years is rocks. That's impossible. How can a man live for 30 years without food? My body had plenty of fat stores to keep me going, Gret explained. And I'm immortal. That probably had something to do with it. <laughs> and you've been here alone for 30 years? Nick asked, looking around at the featureless ice cave where there was nothing but rocks for dinner, no one but rocks to speak to, no oxygen to breathe, and the temperature was minus 200 degrees Celsius. Pretty much, yeah, said Gret, who didn't seem to feel the cold or notice that he shouldn't be able to breathe. Well, I mean, Professor Doctor Who's been here, but we haven't really been speaking recently. Hey, have you got any food? My spaceship has a food synthesizer, said Nick. Yeah. What, like a keyboard? <laughs> you press a cake and 80s pop music comes out. That sounds like the worst idea ever. What a waste of perfectly good cake. I suppose you've got a cheese guitar as well and a meat piano. Hmm. No, a food synthesizer is a machine that can create food. A what is a what that can what what? <laughs> said Gret. Create food, said Nick. You just say what you want and the machine makes it for you instantly. Gret started to drool. So much saliva began pouring from his mouth, his face looked like a flushing toilet. <laughs> Within about ten seconds, he was standing in quite a deep puddle. <laughs> Where is this paradise ship? he asked. It's over there, said Nick, pointing in the direction he'd come. And before he could say anything else, Gret Binchleaf ran off across the ice plain at a speed surprising for someone who hadn't eaten in three decades. Captain Nick looked around the cave one last time and shook his head. It was a shame he hadn't found the alien civilization that NASA scientists had believed was living on Uranus. It was a shame that now, it seemed, he would be known as the man who brought back the hated Gret Binchleaf and put an end to the annual international celebrations of Gret Gone Day, which had united people like nothing before. Excuse me, Jockey Sweetheart, said a voice <laughs> beside him. Are you the one that landed in that spearship not too long ago? <laughs> Captain Nick T. Bundy stared at the woman before him. She was smiling, a big toothy grin that made her appear friendly, but also kind of insane. <laughs> she looked like the sort of woman who might, at any moment, start yelling about evil fairies or fighting Daleks. <laughs> Is there anyone in there, Jockey Love? she said, peering into his eyes. Captain Nick 
wasn't usually one to judge someone on their appearance. He was a groovy modern type who accepted people as they were and didn't criticise life choices. The thing was, this woman was huge, like bigger than any human he'd seen before. She looked, he thought, like the descriptions he'd read of Gret Binchleaf. Mm -hmm. She looked the exact opposite of the man he'd just met. Um, hi, he said eventually. It's nice to meet you. You're surprised by how fat I am, aren't you? Mm. Said the woman, who Nick cleverly deduced must be Professor Doctor Who. Well, believe you me, I didn't look like this when I arrived on this planet. How did you get so, um, big? Hmm. Asked Nick. Hmm. I mean, on a planet with no food. There's loads of food here, sweetie Duckyard. But Greg Binchleaf said there's none. That's because there's only one type of fuel, and he didn't like it. But if you're not Gret Fussy Binchleaf, there's a limitless supply. Not far from here, there's a huge forest with thousands of trees that always bear fruit. What kind of fruit? Well, that's the strangest part, Shucky Dweetheart. <laughs> the trees on Uranus are all pie trees. <laughs> Pie trees. That's right. Meat no pies. Idea. No <laughs> I know, idea. You, know, you didn't see that one coming, I know. That's right. Meat pies, apple pies, bulberry pies. You name it, it grows here somewhere. That idiot Gret Binchleaf didn't eat a single one the whole time we've been here. And he lived in this ice cave instead of in the forest with me because he was too scared to be surrounded by naturally occurring pies. <laughs> a loud combustible boom shook the cave walls and Professor Doctor Who and Captain Nick rushed to the cave mouth to see what had caused it. Streaking up from the horizon, they saw a thick white line of jet trails with Nick's spaceship at the top. <laughs> it climbed further into the misty blue skies of Uranus, then disappeared into the heavy gas clouds, leaving a single white column behind it, like a giant middle finger to the planet and its two inhabitants. Was that your spaceship? <laughs> asked Professor Doctor Who. Yeah. Have you got another one? <laughs> no. Bugger. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, I hope you like pies and being really cold all the time because that's what life's like up here. Shit. <laughs> Don't worry, sweetie duck love. You can come and live in my house. It's got heating and oxygen and a swimming pool and a robot dog. <laughs> I built it with my sonic screwdriver. Really? I put it on build a house setting. <laughs> it was easy. Yeah. Why didn't you let Greg Binchleaf live in your house? Asked Nick, once again looking at the miserable cave with its block of ice for a bed and rocks for friends. You've met him, right? Hmm. He's a fucking thundering moron who never shuts <laughs> up. I'd rather live with that three-headed dog that stole my TARDIS. Hmm. TARDIS, whatever. Oh. <laughs> Meanwhile, in the spaceship, Gret Binchleaf was making up for lost time. Mm -hmm. Chips, he said to the machine. <laughs> you have requested chips, the synthesizer told him and provided a plate of fried potato lumps. More chips, said Gret through a mouthful of chips. You have requested more chips, hmm. said the machine as more chips appeared in its food hole. All the chips, Gret <laughs> demanded. You have requested all the chips said the machine, and chips began pouring into the cabin, almost as fast as Gret could eat them. <laughs> we are now leaving Uranus, <laughs> said, the ship's said the ship's computer. <laughs> Please select destination. What? said Gret. Where do you want to go? Home. Define 
home. Gret punched the console irritably, <laughs> and one of the screens cracked and fell off. He'd only been on the ship for five minutes, but he'd already made a start on regaining his lost bulk. By the time his ten-year journey was complete, he'd be 650% man again. He looked at his reflection in one of the darker screens. Yes, big, beautiful Gret Binchleaf was coming home. Earth, quite literally, wouldn't know what hit it. England, you pillock, he yelled, and make it quick. There's a three-headed space dog with a time machine who's almost certainly causing trouble back there. And there's only one man capable of taming such a very bad dog. What the dangly penis was that all about? Shouldn't there have been a three-headed space dog in it at some point? And, I don't know, a plot? Will Professor Doctor Who die on Uranus and regenerate into, God forbid, a non-white person? <laughs> Find out in part three of Gret Binchleaf and the Adventure of the Very Bad Dog. Thank you for listening to this episode of The Worst Writer in the World. Do you know what, Howard? Yes. A lot of people listen to this show and they probably think, you know, one of these days I really should get round to signing up to that Patreon. It sounds great. <laughs> They're always telling me what brilliant things I'm missing out on. And I think, oh, I don't want to miss out on that. I'll sign up next week. And then I don't. Yeah. <laughs> because, because my life is a disorganised mess. <laughs> right? Yeah. But I tell you what, I tell you what they're missing this month. If they don't do it this month, they're going to miss something really spectacular. Why? What's happening this month, Rufus? Well, April, April is rubbish writer month in the secret gang sponsored wow. by rubbish rat <laughs> but no what we're doing is we are inviting our uh, our patrons all of them mm -hmm. to send us things that they wrote when they were younger mm. and we will read them during april on a series of exciting live streams but and rufus, react to them but rufus what if i haven't got anything that i wrote when i was younger well then we're encouraging people to send us things they wrote like now <laughs> right specifically for this and we're even giving them brillo prompts Wow. Uh, so if you would like to write something and have us read it Ooh. live, or if you would like to hear us uh, read something you wrote when you were younger, possibly a kid or possibly just last year, mm -hmm. then sign up for our secret gang for as little as $2 a month wow, bargain. at patreon.com forward slash man by cow. And even if you're not interested in that, you should still sign up because there is an enormous amount of content waiting for you right now give us all your money and we'll be very happy to see you there, there. <laughs> bye bye mill he's a stupid suckass rubbish writer yeah.